No one wants you, those were the first words anybody said to me as I sat in the restaurant waiting for my mom. A large black woman with strong hands came and put her hand on my shoulder, turned me around and told me why I had been brought there. Your mother can't handle you, and your father doesn't want you. If the owner of this hotel, all that you see here, wants you, you will stay with him. If not, you'll probably be sent to an orphanage, I hesitated for a moment. Then panic rose up in me and I jumped off my stool. I turned and lifted Susie off of her seat, pulling her with me. Hand in hand we ran out of the restaurant, back down the hallway and into the lobby near the marble staircase. We cried and screamed right there in the lobby of the hotel, where people were reading newspapers on benches and in the reading nooks, their heads buried in what I would later learn was the movement's own publication, The New Day. They were like zombies, I decided to make a break for the front door, an attempt to escape. I was nearly to the exit when a large black man with a triangle-shaped head blocked my path. He was enormous. He picked me up under his left arm. My weight was nothing to him as he held me tight, like I was just a toy. I later learned he was Thomas Reed, a professional boxer, whose movement name was Brother Thomas, I want my mama, Susie cried to a woman who bent down to talk to her. It's going to be okay, the woman said. Your mom will be back for you, Thomas pushed past my sister to the reception desk. My heart sunk when I saw that my bag had been left there. Mom must have given it to them, everybody who saw and heard us, screaming at the top of our lungs, went about their day as if nothing out of the ordinary was happening. Men and women walked past us without looking in our direction. Even the people working at the hotel continued to smile and carry on their conversations, just a little louder, as if there weren't two children crying in the same room. Everything was methodical and calculated. Nobody showed any negative emotion. I think that place was like Ellis Island for the movement, just bring them in. The woman stayed with Susie while Thomas kept me securely in his grasp. He had my bag in one hand, and me under his other arm. He walked up a flight of marble stairs and went to the door of a room on the second floor. After opening the door, he walked inside, put me down, then walked out backwards, and I heard the lock clicking. The first thing I did was try turning the doorknob. But it just spun around, then I ran to the window and found it was painted shut. At first, I was like a jungle cat, running the room in circles. When I calmed down I looked around. The room was completely white, furnished simply with a single bed and dresser, a bathroom, a desk and a giant photo of Father Divine over the dresser. After trying every escape route, I resigned to my fate, lay down on the bed and stared at the ceiling, wondering what I had done for my mom and my pop to not want me. To just leave me like that. I remembered my family vacations, the sandy beaches, the days spent together when mom posed me for photos. I couldn't imagine why she did it. Even now when I look back on those photos I see the love she had for me. I went through my entire life that night, remembering everything, every time I had talked back, all the way to the trip here in Philadelphia. I came to the conclusion that no matter what I did what was happening to me was not right. I silently cried myself to sleep as the tears rolled down my cheeks and into my ears. The memories still haunt me, and every once in a while I still wonder if I did something to deserve being left behind.
I spent the night alone in the room with no idea what was happening to my sister, no idea where my mom had gone off to and no concept of where I was. I heard I was in Philadelphia, but I didn't know anything about that city, we were supposed to be going to New Hampshire, pounding on my door woke me up. At first I thought maybe mom had come back for me. But once I was up I knew it couldn't be her. The knock came one more time and I sat up, my eyes sore from a night of crying. The door opened and brother Thomas looked in. Get up. Brush your teeth. Wash your face, he ordered. You've got ten minutes, that morning it was a warm day in June, but the room felt cold and sterile. I splashed water on my face, wiping away the tears. I brushed my teeth, and combed my hair. I was still wearing the clothes that I'd worn the day before, with brother Thomas watching over me, we descended the marble staircase to the lobby. And there I found Susie, crying, also wearing the same clothes she had been in the day before too. Susie, I said, reaching out to hold her hand and comfort her. I'm not sure what's going on here, the woman standing with Susie spoke harshly at me, you can't touch her, I let go of my sister's hand and took a step back. We were told to follow brother Thomas and walked outside to a big black limo. He opened the door and said, get in the car. You're going to Woodmont, he didn't tell us what Woodmont was or give us an opportunity to ask. We rode through Philadelphia, looking at the tall buildings, we had never seen anything quite like it. Then, as we drove outside of town, the landscape turned green, the limo's inside window was down, and the driver kept looking back at us. Susie and I talked to each other quietly, trying to make sure he couldn't hear us. I tried to be brave and take care of my sister. I wonder where we're going, I whispered, finally, we arrived at Black Iron Gates, which opened onto a winding road that took us past acres of grass and trees. The property had a pool and tennis courts. As soon as she saw the main house, Susie shouted, Look Tommy, Disneyland. The 32-room mansion, with its high, sloped towers, did look a lot like Sleeping Beauty's castle that we had been to many times. I'd never seen a house that big or beautiful outside of Disney, the driver was not amused by Susie's assessment. This is not Disneyland, he said seriously. This is Woodmont, Mount of the House of the Lord, he pulled up to the front of the house and parked to the side of the portcochere. Meant to protect occupants of the car from the weather as they exited. I stepped out of the car on the passenger side, and Susie got out on the other side. As soon as the doors shut, Susie screamed. I ran around to her side and found a big dog, one that looked just like Lassie, had clamped down on her foot. I kicked the dog off her, reaching out to comfort her, and a woman behind me hollered, don't touch her. You can't fraternize with the opposite sex, what does that mean? I had never heard a few of those words. You can't touch girls, she's my sister, the woman said nothing, just picked Susie up and took her away from me, blood dripping. I watched her carry Susie through a door. I had no idea that would be the last time I'd see my little sister for years to come. Another woman came over to me and greeted me, Peace Tommy, I am Miss Dorothy Darling, please follow me, we walked up small flight of concrete steps to the main entrance of the house. The heavy double doors were opened for us. And we were in a grand entryway with ceilings that reached up higher than any I had ever seen in a house. 
I looked at my surroundings as we walked the paneled walls, the high ceilings, the chandeliers, the fireplace. A dark wood staircase wrapped around the room and led to the second floor where I saw a life-sized painting of Father Divine and a blonde-haired woman. Miss Dorothy showed me into what she called the music room with a grand piano and told me to please wait here for a moment. I was thinking, would I now be an orphan, like the ones from the television show I watched, East Side Kids? I might end up in some place with nothing but porridge to eat, after a short wait that felt longer than it was, I shifted nervously in my seat. Miss Dorothy appeared and said, Tommy, she said. Father is waiting for you, as we left the music room, doors opened into an octagon-shaped office with red carpet and dark wooden walls. The focal point, just in front of a wall of windows, was a big desk with a bald, smiling, African-American man seated in front of it. This was the man everybody was talking about, the man they called Father, the man from the church photo. He was dressed very neatly in a pinstriped suit. To his side was the woman from the painting at the top of the staircase. To the right of him was a pair of women whose differences made them almost funny to look at. The very light-skinned and skinny Miss Dorothy Darling towered over her friendly-faced neighbor. The very dark-skinned and stocky Mississippi St. Mary Bloom. Miss Dorothy Darling would come to remind me of the banker Miss Hathaway in the Beverly Hillbillies TV show. She always had a serious expression on her face and wore buttoned-up suits. Along the wall, several secretaries stood at attention, holding their pencils and steno pads. Some of the people had mile-wide smiles, others just stared straight ahead, nearly expressionless. I couldn't help noticing their clothing, they were like something out of the past. They all wore long dresses and long sleeves. Some of the women wore red blazers with verses, as I walked towards father, I felt all eyes on me. Heads turned with my steps. As I approached he motioned for me to sit. He looked me up and down then leaned forward and said something, and I'm certain I heard the entire room gasp in surprise, may I touch your hand, he said, I'd learn that father never touched anybody, I replied, sure you can, and he touched my hand and looked me square in the eyes. It's come to my attention Tommy that nobody wants you. Your father doesn't want you. Your mother can't handle you. He looked on, studying my face. I want you. If you agree, you will stay here at Woodmont and be taken care of for the rest of your life. I looked into his eyes, and I felt something I'd never felt before. I had known the beautiful loving eyes of my mother and the evil eyes of that woman Louise. From that moment, I felt that I could trust him completely, but first I asked. What about my mom and my sister, they will be taken care of, but not here. He looked to me and asked if I understood. I understand, replied. If you agree to stay, we will always take care of you, and Woodmont will always be your home, he said. I looked around the room and noticed that many people looked shocked. I don't think any of them knew why I'd been brought to the manor, and they couldn't have known that just a few days prior I had been in the loving arms of my mom in California. I took a deep breath, looked back at Father Divine, and just said, okay, yes, Father Divine nodded his head to Mississippi St. Mary Bloom, and she excused the secretaries. As they filed out she said, please send in happy love, a moment later, a very tall man with reddish-black skin walked in, 
wearing a dark suit and carrying a chauffeur's hat. He had a really big smile and I liked him immediately. Father Divine said, this is Master Tommy. You will be his chauffeur, valet and bodyguard. He's going to need clothing for this evening's banquet. Please take him to King of Prussia Mall and see that he has appropriate attire. 